required minimum distribution ages changed again, as did a bunch of other retirement planning things that I'm about to talk about in this, the 56th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Happy New Year, everybody. It is a fresh year, 2023. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. So this, the first episode of this year, um, sorry to let you down. I know I promised the, the last episode, if not the last few episodes, I would be talking about or starting off this year with my intro to investing series. I know you are all eagerly awaiting that. I may or may not have hyped it up a lot. It, it is it is coming, I promise, but um, I expected to start next week. What happened was after I recorded the last two episodes about the, um, the divorce planning with Amy Colton, leave it to the government to jam through some sweeping retirement planning uh, uh, legislative changes in the last few days of the year. And that's what happened. Um, so kind of not quite out of nowhere, but um, late in 2029, a few days before Christmas, the Secure 2.2 Act, I'm sorry, Secure 2.0 uh, Act of 2022 popped up uh, and, and ultimately made it into law. President Biden signed it December 29th and it made a, a bunch of changes, namely required minimum distribution ages, but also a, a whole, there's 90 something uh, total provisions to the Secure 2.0 Act. I'm going to discuss in this episode, I, I thought it was timely. Well, I know it's timely. Um, and I, I thought it was worth interrupting your regularly scheduled programming to, to do an episode about this and punt the investment intro one back another week so I can get this uh, Secure 2.0 Act in front of you all. But before that, I want to make some other announcements. Um, for those of you that, that subscribe to my company's newsletter, that, that came out January 1st, bright and early, 7 a.m. You, uh, you, you, you will have read that I did some sort of reshuffling, rebranding, re-identity-ing uh, to, to some of my content sources. So what I did was this, this podcast has always been called Retirement Planning Education. That, that's nothing new. Uh, that started beginning of 2022. But my other content sources, I have the Facebook group, which uh, historically was called Taxes and Retirement. And the YouTube channel historically has been called Retirement Planning Demystified. I've since rebranded, renamed both of those. They are both as well now called Retirement Planning Education. So the Retirement Planning Education quote unquote brand, if you want to call it that, now encompasses this podcast, the Facebook group, and the YouTube channel. Now, nothing is changing about those. The, the, the type, the quality, the amount of content will continue on as they are. They're just simply now called Retirement Planning Education. Uh, furthermore, I started a new website aptly titled retirementplanningeducation.com where you can find uh, links to, the, to those various things. So it has the, the podcast is there, the YouTube channel is there, the Facebook group, I'm trying to get it there. There's, there's some trouble I'm having with this widget that's supposed to plug it in. But basically, it's just kind of a landing page for all this now common branded, common identity retirement planning education stuff on that one website. Uh, additionally, the various free resources that you all may or may not have uh, been aware of on my company website are now moving to this retirement planning education website. They're not there yet as of the recording of this podcast. Uh, they may be by the time you hear this. I, I don't know. We'll see how uh, ambitious I am. Um, but there's there's things like the required minimum distribution 
calculation tables. There's the modified adjusted gross income calculation summary. There's a Roth withdrawal rules uh, summary. There's going to be a tax return preparation checklist for 2022 tax year on there. There's going to be those dozens of free checklists and workflows that I buy from a place called FP Pathfinder. Again, those of you familiar with the free resources section of my company site, you'll find all this stuff eventually on the retirement planning education website going forward. Um, the newsletter I do under my company's name is still staying there. So that that's was called and will continue to be called Retirement Planning Insights. So that will sort of, not sort of, but will formally still be associated with and be a, um, uh, I don't know if offering is the right word, but an offering from my my financial advisory business. Uh, so I'm still the one who writes that. That's you know me, Andy, the the uh, affiliate of my business or the representative of my business, writing that. Whereas now everything under this retirement planning education website and, and common brand is is Andy the individual, uh, just you know giving away information and education. It's not Andy the representative of the financial advisory business. Um, I think that's it. If you have any questions, oh, and regarding the Q&A episodes of these Retirement Planning Education podcasts, going forward, uh, you can email me questions at uh, andy at andypanko.com. Historically, it was uh, andypanko at gmail.com. That still works. I mean, it's all me at the end of the day, but just to sort of clean things up and kind of uh, get more organization and delineation between sort of my, my personal life, personal emails, my, my business venture, my this sort of retirement planning education kind of um, it's not, it's not even a business. I don't know what you call it, but, uh, I don't know, teaching of the masses venture, uh, um, you know, that I'm trying to kind of just sort of bucket and bifurcate or I guess trifurcate all this stuff. So anyway, so, uh, Andy at andypanko.com is where you can send me emails and questions for this podcast for these upcoming Q and a episodes I'll do. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I'm sure I'm missing something, but anyway, so that that's that's kind of the uh, housekeeping starting the, starting the new year with with some you know separation and rebranding and a little little bit different names and, and places for things. But uh, I promise you, the content, this podcast, the YouTube, the Facebook, will, will all be living on as they are, just simply kind of different names and you know, slightly different look and feel. But that's that. All right, so let's talk about uh, this this legislation that was jammed through in the waning uh, days of uh, 2022. So just stepping back, um, <laughs> not not totally a surprise. So the end of 2019, something called the SECURE Act, where SECURE is an acronym, stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement, I think it was. So that, that sort of came out of nowhere. Late 2019, uh, jammed into law before the end of 2019, and it made some, some sweeping changes, one of which that you all probably are most familiar with and or have felt personally is the change in the retired, uh, um, I'm sorry, the required minimum distribution age or the age at which you need to start taking distributions from your pre-tax qualified accounts like traditional IRAs, 401ks, 403b, et cetera. It used to be 70 and a half, specifically the year you turned 70 and a half was the year you needed to start taking money out of these pre-tax accounts, subject to one caveat. In that first year, you can actually delay it till the second year and then you can you know, take your first year's distribution in the second year but you'd also have to take that second year's distribution in the second year. So you kind of be doubling up distributions, which doesn't make sense for a lot of people, but nonetheless, it was an option. So secure the first secure act of 2019 went into place again, late 2019 changed the RMD age starting in 2020 and going forward specifically it, it upped it to age 72. So, uh, 
if you uh, in now under that legislation, well, I shouldn't say now, it's already changed, but under that legislation, you didn't need to start taking RMDs from your uh, pre-tax accounts until the year you turn 72, again, with the caveat that you can push back that first year into the second year, et cetera. Um, there's a, a bunch of other changes, but I won't, I won't uh, get into them here. They, they've been discussed ad nauseum over the last few years and whatever. So now there's been buzz over the last few years about uh, bumping back the RMD age even further beyond age 72. It was floated to go up to age 75, as well as a bunch of other possible changes were, were kicked around, such as prohibiting Roth conversions if your income's over a certain level. Uh, I don't remember. There's a whole bunch of things that sort of come and went, uh, came and went, but they, they all sort of um, stalled out, if you will. Nothing made it to legislation, and the midterm elections happened uh, in this, you know, November 2022, and um, the result of those elections were such that the, the government is now split, whereas it wasn't a, a clean sweep of democratic balance of power. Now it's a little more uh, split. So the expectation was nothing big is going to happen, you know, until there's another change of power um, in, in uh, between the executive and legislative branches. But uh, lo and behold, <clears throat> a few days before Christmas, the Secure 2.2 Act popped up, uh, passed by the Senate, then passed by the House a few days later. I may have the, I think, yeah, I think it was Senate first, then House, then ultimately Biden signed it on December 29th. So it is now law and became law, you know, a couple of days prior to the end of the year. I'm not a political expert, but the way this legislation worked, it was tucked into the annual spending bill, I think called the omnibus bill or omnibus budget or something like that. You know, every year the government needs to fund itself and it needs approval for what specifically, you know, to allocate, to appropriate funds for the coming year to the various, uh, 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 not even branches, but divisions of the government and kind of set them a budget. So what happened was that that, that needs to happen every year, that, that omnibus sort of budget uh, legislative process. Tucked into that was was the Secure 2.0 Act, so it wasn't really its, its its own standalone venture. It was it was you know plugged into this broad sweeping, uh, typical annual legislative budget setting process. So you can find links in the notes to this podcast for the full blown bill itself, in, in all of its glory, as well as two different uh, summaries that are much more robust and comprehensive than what I'm about to verbalize now. One was the formal summary from the Senate where they detailed uh, all, I think it was 92, maybe 90 something provisions of the Secure 2.0 Act were summarized more or less in plain English, still fairly technical, but uh, easy enough to understand for most folks. So definitely check out that link. Additionally, there's one from kitsis.com, K-I-T-C-E-S.com. Uh, Michael Kitsis is one of the thought leaders, industry leaders in the financial advisory um, uh, realm. Uh, super, super thorough with great content and information. And one of his staff slash associates is, is named Jeff Levine, who's sort of the tax guy within the Kitsis world. Jeff Levine is always all over these, um, especially retirement-focused tax stuff, always all over it quickly with thorough summaries, really good, accurate summaries. So he put together a real, real nice, pretty lengthy, but real nice written summary of Secure 2.0. I'll have a link to that. Definitely check that out. Um, it, it's more thorough and, and better than what I'm about to say now. Um, I like to think mine's good, but I, I can't argue, you know, th that, that guy's better than I am, uh, at covering this stuff and summarizing it and he's much more followed than I am. So anyway, he gets in the hands of more people. So moving on, um, what I want to do today is recap for you the things that I think are most likely to impact those of you listening. Again, there's 90 something provisions in secure 2.0. I'm not touching all 90. I think I have, what do I have here? 
uh, I don't know, about a dozen maybe um, that I think are most likely to impact some or all of you listening. A lot of the Secure 2.0 is focused on um, expanding access and availability and making it easier for employers and employees to open and, and participate in workplace retirement plans like 401ks, the auto enrollment uh, incentives for companies to start them, things like that. I, I'm glossing over all of that because not, not that it's not important, but as you know, my, you know, my shtick stuff I talk about is really individual focus. Yeah, we obviously talk about 401ks and stuff here and there because we have to, it's important, but I don't talk about it from like the businesses, the employer's perspective, really. I talk about it from the end user, the employee's perspective. So I'm not even going to touch on most uh, or, or any of the, um, you know, the workplace retirement plan stuff, maybe in passing, but otherwise this is really sort of the individual things I'll be uh, highlighting today. And I, I believe these all to be accurate. Now this, a lot of this secure 2.0 stuff is the industry's all over it. Again, it came out just you know, less than two weeks ago. Um, we're, we're digesting it. We're, we're under, making sure we get it right. Some of the legislation does appear to have technical errors, which I'll touch on. And in this, what I'm about to summarize today is my reading of it. I also sort of cross-checked it with these articles I mentioned, you know, the summaries I mentioned before. But point is, I, I can't guarantee this is all entirely accurate. It is my interpretation. Um, I did this sort of feverishly trying to get it all in before this week's podcast to get you something of substance to listen to here. So, But I'd like to think that this should be uh, as accurate as it, as it reasonably can be and hopefully um, properly and thoroughly represented. Um, I think that's it for backstory. So let me now get into it. Just got my paper here. All right. So Secure 2.0 Act of 2022 uh, picks up where the first Secure Act of 2019 leaves off. Again, Secure is an acronym for setting every community up for retirement enhancement. The gist is to help strengthen and bolster the collective retirement readiness, retirement strength of, of the nation. Uh, as you all know, over the last multiple decades, uh, we, you know, we all are now much more responsible for our own retirement savings. It used to be you'd have Social Security, you'd have typically a pension if you work for someone else. And that was more or less it. I mean, maybe you did have savings on the side of your own, but for the most part, your retirement was Social Security and pension. Uh, and you probably, you know, not you in particular, but most people retired 65-ish, lived 10 years, 15 years, maybe, you know, slightly more, uh, some people slightly less, obviously. And pension and social security was kind of all most people had. Well, as you know, social security is still there, um, strained, but still there. Pensions going away fast. You know, people, a lot of you listening to this may still have a pension, especially if you're a federal or municipal employee. But outside of that, anyone who entered the workforce, again, outside of public employment in the last, I don't know, 20 years probably doesn't have a pension. So uh, the onus is much more on us as individuals to fund and save ourselves throughout our working years to eventually... Uh, finance our lifestyle, you know, our, our retirements, which now last more than 15, 20 years. Um, those of you listening, I, I think I forget the statistic, but if you're over, if you're already 60 or 65, your life expectancy is like 85, give or take. Um, and expect that to slowly increase over time. So retirement could feasibly be 30 years, 30 plus years for some folks. Anyway, so that, that, that's all point of this to help uh, try to beef up people's ability to save, access to save, um, you know, make it as conducive or at least as uh, minimally restrictive as possible to, uh, to try to save for your own retirement. So uh, I'm enough rambling now. Let's get into it. So one of the, here's the changes and things that I think of are most important to most of you listening. 
uh, what else? Increase in the the required minimum distribution age. So again, like I said, with these tax deferred accounts, the benefit is uh, when you put money in, you don't yet pay tax on that money. You get a tax deferral. Now it's not tax free. All you're doing is kicking the can down the road. You will eventually need to take that money out and pay tax on it. Uncle Sam wants, wants his share eventually. That's why we have these RMDs or required minimum distributions is the government won't let you delay the inevitable of paying tax forever. They will force you to start taking money out. Previously, you know, as of last year, it was in the year you turned 72, you need to start taking money out of your accounts. Now, effective this year, 2023, it has changed. So if you were born in 1950 or earlier, um, no changes for you. You know, if you were born in 1950 or earlier, you were already 72, if not older. And you fall under the previous RMD rules, which means your your RMD start year is the year you turn 72, if you're already 72, or the year you turn 70 and a half. Uh, there's no changes. So there's no like delaying or pausing of RMDs for you. You simply continue on taking RMDs as you already were uh, pre-Secure 2.0. For those that were born between 1951 and 1958, you do not yet need to you do not yet need to take take RMDs until the year you turn 73. Now, um, if you were born in 1960 or later, you do not need to start taking RMDs from your own accounts until the year you turn 75. You may be saying, I was born in 1959. Why'd you skip me? Well, here's why. There was a, a clearly, it seemed like a, just a, a blatant, um, uh, an obvious error based on the wording and the actual um, uh, Secure 2.0 legislation, which again, you can find a link to in the notes if you want to read it yourself. If you're 50, if you're born in 1959, you fall under both the age 73 and age 75 rules. So clearly that's wrong. Now we don't yet officially know what what the right answer is going to be, but based on Jeff Levine, again the guy whose article I summarized, who, who's definitely one of the uh, primo people in this industry, the the expectation and the belief is that the intention was people who were born in 1959 would fall under the age 73 RMD rule. So we, again, we don't know this for sure, but if you were born in 1959, it seems like as of now, the intention was your RMDs will need to start in the year 73, not 75. So again, those that don't start till 75 are those born in 1960 or later. Those born in 1951 and 1958, RMDs need to start the age you turn 73. And if you're born in 1950 or earlier, no changes, uh, carry on taking RMDs as you already should be, or you already are. So that's that. Uh, Important thing to know, this is just your own uh, RMDs from your own accounts, not those you inherit. Completely different bag of worms. That's not what you, that's not the saying, is it? Bag, whatever, ball of worm, ball, ball of wax. A can of worms, ball of wax. Completely different ones of those. Um, you may or may not be aware that there was lots of buzz and confusion around taking RMDs from inherited accounts under what's called the 10-year rule. Uh, sadly, in the Secure 2.0, there was no clarification or mention of um, the the 10 year inherited account rule. So we have to wait more for the IRS to uh, hopefully in 2023, clarify its stance on uh, what exactly a 10 year rule means, but I won't get into that uh, offshoot here. Okay, so that's the increase in RMD ages. Next, inflation increases for IRA catch up contributions. So if you are, uh, you contribute to a traditional IRA or Roth IRA, you can only contribute X amount per year. Uh, 2022 is 6,000 bucks, 2023. I should know this. I don't, I have a chart. I can look it up if you want me to, but it, it's something higher. Hold on. Now, now I'm interested. I got a chart on my wall here. Let me take a look. Um, this is something I should know. It's top of my head at this point. 
Uh, this is not 2022. That's not going to help. And I just dropped it. Never mind. I'll come back to that. So um, if you contribute to an IRA or Roth IRA, there's a there's an annual limit for 2022 at 6,000 bucks. Hold on. I, I got to pick this up. I, I can't keep telling you. I don't know this. Hold on. There we go. Don't mind my squeaky chair. Okay. So 2023, it is, I'm looking right at it. Where are you? $6,500. So the annual maximum contribution to traditional IRAs or Roth IRAs for 2023 is $6,500 per person. Plus, if you are 50 or will be 50 or older by the end of 2023, you can contribute an additional $1,000 catch-up, quote-unquote catch-up. Historically, this $1,000 catch-up hasn't been indexed for inflation, meaning it's always $1,000 per year. Going forward, specifically starting in 2024, this $1,000 uh, catch-up will be indexed for inflation and will slowly uh, tick up over time. So that, that's that, uh, that's pretty cool. That means you can get more money into IRAs and Roth IRAs, specifically if you are uh, or, or will be 50 or older. Next, in addition to catch-ups for uh, traditional IRA or Roth IRA contributions, there's also catch-ups for employer plan contributions. Like if you work somewhere and you have access to a 401k, there are um, catch-ups, same thing. If you're 50 or older by, uh, excuse me, by the end of the year, you can make a catch-up contribution. For 2023, that catch-up contribution is $7,500. Now, those are and have been indexed for inflation already. So again, next year, it's $7,500. Uh, I'm sorry, I still think it's 2022. So for 2023, it'll be $7,500 is, is the catch-up. Uh, for 2022, for example, it was $6,500. So as you can see, you know that that is already indexed for inflation. But what's changing under Secure 2.0 is starting in uh, 2024, Five, I think it is, there's going to be additional uh, catch-ups you can make into employer plans like 401ks if you are between ages of 60 and 63, I think are the ages. Uh, there, there's more details and in, in, uh, intricacies to the rule uh, based on my reading through the Secure 2.0, but basically if you'll be s between 60 and 63, inclusive of, so if you're 60, 61, 62, or 63, in 2025 or later, um, you will be able to make additional catch-up contributions on top of the, for example, 7,500 that you can currently make as of 2023. Um, there's, again, there's more details than that. I, I didn't want to get too into the weeds because it seemed pretty technical and convoluted, but I mean, just, just know that there's additional workplace uh, contributions, catch-up contributions that will uh, be able for some folks in 2025. Um, next, 10% penalty waiver on certain emergency expense withdrawals from qualified plans. As you likely know, uh, if you have pre-tax qualified accounts like IRAs, 401ks, you generally can't take the money out prior to age 59 and a half without paying a 10%, uh, you have to pay tax on it, but also a 10% early withdrawal penalty. These accounts were always intended to be retirement long-term savings plans. Hence, the government doesn't want you just freely taking money out and they slap you with a 10% penalty generally if you take money out prior to 59 and a half. Now there's, there's a host of exceptions uh, there is one new exception added with the Secure 2.0. Specifically, it allows you to take out some money. You'll still have to pay tax, but you can skip the 10% penalty if the money is for um, emergency expense withdrawals. Now, how is that defined? It says, per the legislation, it is for meeting unforeseeable or immediate financial needs relating to necessary personal or family emergency expenses, period. Um, you can probably figure this out. There's a lot of subjectivity in that. So I, I don't know if there'll be further rules to clarify what exactly uh, qualifies under these rules or if they're going to be pretty liberal. For what it's worth, it's a small amount. 
it's uh, you can only take out one distribution per year and that distribution can't exceed $1,000. So, um, you know, it's not like this is tens of thousands of bucks. So my suspicion is I don't think the IRS is going to um, really wrap a lot of clarifications and further rules around this, though they'll probably leave this, this determination pretty subjective where the taxpayer decides, you know, kind of on the honor system, I suppose if they do indeed have emergency expenses they need to meet and therefore are eligible to take this thousand dollar annual penalty-free distribution uh these distributions would start in 2024 so a lot of these secure act things some start now you know effective signing legislation some start 2023 uh well that is now i guess um 2024 some start 2025 some start later most of them start uh immediately or 2024. all right that's that one next Ability to roll unused 529 college savings funds into Roth IRAs. So 529 plan is a uh, uh, savings account specifically, well, investment account, specifically intended to pay for qualified higher education expenses. Historically, it was just for college expenses. Um, starting, was it this year? 2022? I don't remember. Uh, you were able to now take out up to $10,000 per year to pay for secondary schools, like private school tuition. Uh, specifically tuition. It's not books. It's not like class trips. It's tuition. So if you go to like a private, I think even daycare, I think it's, uh, maybe it's K to K through 12. Anyway, but like you've got a private high school, you can, you can use up to $10,000 per year from 529 to pay for, um, uh, you know, private school tuition, for example. So 529 is a benefit is the money you put in doesn't get a tax deduction, but all the gains eventually come out tax-free, assuming they're used to, to uh, pay for qualified education expenses. Now, what happens, good problem to have, but a lot of people end up having a lot of money in 529 and don't use it all. It's like, now what? Now you can transfer it. There's, I mean, there's other things you can do with it. But worst case, if you take the money out for anything other than qualified education expenses, you have to pay tax and penalty on all the earnings. You don't have to pay tax or penalty on the amount you put in because that was already taxed in the first place. But all the earnings will be taxed and penalized if you use for something other than qualified education expenses. So some people are like, hey, well, you know, my kid didn't go to school, for example, and I got all this money here. Now what do I do? So Secure 2.0 has this new thing now where um, if you do have unused 529 funds, some of that fund, some of that money can be used to, to fund a Roth IRA. Here's, here's There's some catches. The 529 needs to have been opened at least 15 years before you can do this. Again, the intention is this is like unused money. They, they don't want you opening one then immediately rolling into a Roth. This is one where you had set up the intention to pay for school for someone and there's money left over. So it has to be 15 years old. The beneficiary of the 529 needs to be the same as the Roth IRA account owner. So example would be, I opened a 529 for my daughter. Um, it, you know, And we did, we opened it 15 years ago, coincidentally, she's 15 now. Um, let's assume she doesn't go to college or goes to college and you know college is, is less than than we saved in the 529 so there's money left over she's the beneficiary of the 529 she gets a job uh she can then open her own roth ira because she has a job and she can put money into it she can use up to thirty-five thousand dollars total in her lifetime from her unused 529 she can use up to 35 grand to make contributions into her roth ira at the time you know in the future now, so $35,000 lifetime max for per beneficiary, in this case, my, my daughter. And these $35,000 take the place of the, the normal annual Roth IRA contribution limit. So for next year, for, or I keep saying next year. So 2023, 6,500 bucks is the max that someone under 50 can put into a Roth IRA. This 35,000 would take up some of that. So like, it's not, you can't contribute 6,500 
plus put in more from this 529 rollover, you're, you're still limited to the annual, uh, um, you know, Roth IRA contribution limits. So that, that's that one. This also starts in 2024. Uh, these unused 529s will be able to potentially be uh, rolled into Roth IRAs. Next, increase to the amount of qualified longevity annuity contracts that can be purchased without uh, within a retirement account. Um, this won't pertain to a lot of you, but for those that does, this is this is kind of interesting. So a QLAC, Q-L-A-C, which is an acronym for Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, is a special type of deferred annuity you can buy within a retirement account like an IRA. And what happens is, as you already hopefully know, with an IRA, traditional pre-tax IRA, you eventually need to start taking money out. Those are the RMDs or required minimum distributions we started talking about, um, and you have to pay tax on it. Now, what if you don't want or need all of the money immediately when you turn 73 or 75 under these new RMD rules, but you think you may need income down the road, specifically you want to buy an annuity where you can receive a guaranteed amount of income some point down the road, you know, late 70s, early 80s, whatever it may be. You can buy within your IRA something called a QLAC, a Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. Now, um, currently, well, prior to Secure 2.0, you were limited to... Um, using no more than 25% or $145,000, whichever is less, of your, your retirement account balances to buy a QLAC. When you buy this QLAC, what happens is, let's say you bought $100,000 worth, um, that $100,000, and, and it's an annuity where you have to start it no later than age 85. So let's assume you're 73, you bought this QLAC for $100,000. There's now, uh, on that $100,000, you do not currently have to take RMDs on it but you still have to take RMDs on the rest of your IRA monies. This $100,000 kind of sitting off on the side. You do need to start it, you know, start the, the lifetime uh, income no later than age 85. And when you do, the income is then taxable at the time. So QLACs don't get rid of RMDs, really. They don't get rid of the taxation on IRAs. They just sort of further, uh, further kick it down the road. So th they're not, don't use them as a way to get rid of or reduce RMDs because they don't, they just further delay it. Use it because you want an annuity specifically later in life where uh, you think you may want or need down the road, guaranteed income. That's what a QLAC is. Anyway, so under Secure 2.0, it increased the, the limit on how much you can buy, whereas it used to be the lesser of 25% of your retirement account balances or 145 grand. Secure 2.0 changes it to uh, $200 flat, which will be indexed for inflation going forward. There's no percentage limit anymore. Um, as far as when this becomes effective, the wording, I haven't saw this before, seen this, within uh, the, the this will be effective within 18 months of the enactment of Secure 2.0. So some point by mid-2024, uh, this increased QLAC provision should be uh, live and on the book. So again, it will be, you can use up to 200 grand of your retirement account monies to buy QLACs going forward. Uh, that's a lifetime limit, 200 grand. Um, or is that per year? I think uh, that's a lifetime limit, I think. Yeah, it should be. Now I'm confused myself. I think it's lifetime. And that's also per person. For a married couple, each can buy $200,000 uh, of QLACs if they want to. All right, next. Um, this one's a little more technical, but and I'm just reading off a summary I wrote in, in my, my business newsletter. This is why it sounds kind of scripted, some of these things. But the next point, removing of the bifurcation of RMDs between annuitized annuities and other investable assets within an IRA. What does that mean? I don't know. No, just kidding. So um, pre-Secure 2.0, let's say you had a million dollars in an IRA. Um, if you didn't, and, and you're subject to RMDs because you were 72, you would need to take out a certain percentage of that million dollars every year 
uh, specifically the amount you need to take out is about 3.9%, I think it is. Yeah, 3.9%, I believe. Um, <clears throat> so that's why the 39,000 bucks is what you are. Maybe it's 3.4, whatever. It's it's three something. So, you know, 30 something thousand bucks is what you need to take out in that first year as our, for RMDs. Now, what if you were to use some of your IRA to buy an annuity, a lifetime annuity that, that started? So of your million dollar IRA, you take, let's say, $300,000 of it and buy a single premium immediate annuity that starts ASAP. So on that 300 grand, you now get, I don't even know the math. What's it like? It's probably, I don't know, six, 7% per year. So that's what, um, just to put some numbers to this, if you were to take 300,000, and this all depends on your age, uh, gender, where you live, let's assume it's that, so I don't know, 18 grand maybe. So you take 300 grand out of your IRA uh, and buy an annuity with it, you would get, I'm just probably upwards of like 20,000 bucks a year, depending on your age and stuff, but whatever, you know, 20,000 bucks a year, maybe. Um, that that twenty thousand dollars on that annuity, or the three hundred thousand that you use to buy the annuity, doesn't really uh, functionally have RMDs at that point. The twenty thousand dollars of lifetime monthly income you're getting is the RMD for that three hundred thousand dollars that was carved out and used to buy the annuity. So uh, you know, of that twenty grand of income, all of it is used to meet the RMD on that three hundred grand, no more, no less. You can't take any of that that annuity income and apply it towards the remaining RMDs on the other seven hundred thousand dollars of IRA money you have that you did not use to buy the annuity. That seven hundred thousand will still be subject to the RMD of three point nine percent or whatever I said. Uh, you know, there's no mixing and matching of annuitized annuity income being used to meet the RMD of the non-annuitized income. Well, with with Secure two point that's changing. So if you do have an annuity that's annuitized, and annuitized is a fancy word for uh, you, you turn this money, this annuity into an irrevocable stream of lifetime income, uh, payments you do get under that annuity can be applied toward the aggregate uh, RMD amount of the whole IRA, inclusive of the, the value of the annuity, I believe, is the intention here. I'll leave that one there. That's, that's pretty technical, but... Uh, good news for those that do happen to have chunky, healthy-sized annuities where you know the income payments on that more than meet the RMD of the annuity, so those income payments can be used to help meet RMDs of the non-annuitized uh, IRA balances. Next, reduction in penalty on missed RMDs. So pre-Secure 2.0, there's really steep penalties. If you had an RMD and didn't take it, there'd be a penalty of 50%, 5-0% that you'd have to pay um, for every year you missed taking that, that RMD but should have. The, the Secure 2.0 changes it. It reduces it from 50 to 25%, further reduces it down to 10% if you address it and rectify it within what the legislation calls some, a new term called a, a correction window, which basically means you, find, uh, you realize you missed the RMD and you take it before the IRS finds out and notifies you, hey, you missed the RMD. Uh, or within two years of... Um, the the end the, you know the tax return for the year in which you miss the RMD if you find in, that you miss the RMD and take it within that correction window the penalty on it is only ten percent as opposed to twenty five so that's good news uh, these will be effective for RMDs that were um, uh, I'm sorry these changes go into effect twenty twenty three so now actually what else we got here uh, next RMDs will no longer be required from Roth four hundred one ks so you all are an astute bunch. You probably already know this, but if you have a Roth IRA, uh, unlike a traditional IRA, there there are not RMDs on your own Roth IRAs because Roth are money that's not taxed. Well, I mean, they're taxed when you put the money in. 
and the gains you eventually take out should all be tax-free. So the government isn't trying to push you to take the money because there, there, there's no tax benefit for them at that point. Whereas with traditional pre-tax IRAs, there is a benefit for the government. They want you to eventually you know, take income, pay tax on it because that's revenue for them. So anyway, so Roth IRAs didn't have uh, RMDs on them. Well, still don't. Traditional IRAs did and still do. As far as 401k plans, employer plans, traditional 401ks did have and still have RMDs that need to be taken from them, as did Roth 401k plans. So you may be like, wow, that's weird. Like, why would you not need RMDs from a Roth IRA, but have to take them from Roth 401k? I don't know. It didn't make sense. So anyway, so Secure 2.0 changes that. So now Roth 401k plans uh, do not have required minimum distributions uh, um, put in place by, by the IRS. This is, will uh, this won't start to 2024 though. So 2023, if you happen to have a Roth IRA, I'm sorry, a Roth 401k, and you end of RM and you are of RMD age, you will need to take it in 2023. But starting 2024, Roth 401ks will not have uh, um, RMDs. And I believe this applies to all employer plans, not just 401ks. I, b- I believe it's also 403bs, the Federal Thrift Savings Plan. Uh, I think I can't confirm, but but I believe that's the the um, wording. Next. Surviving spouses can take RMDs from inherited accounts based on the deceased's age and RMDs. What does this mean? So RMDs from inherited accounts are a real tricky, messy, sloppy, quagmire set of rules and regulations. And as I touched on before, something called the 10-year rule that was put in place with the original SECURE Act uh, still has some ambiguity and and lack of clarity from, from the IRS about it. So anyway, stay tuned for more on that. But um spouses, surviving spouses who inherit a retirement account like an IRA or a 401k from their deceased spouse have always had more optionality with how what, what they can do with that account and what the RMDs need to be. Historically, surviving spouses could take the, for example, let's assume there's an IRA at hand, spouse A died, spouse B the, uh, can, can take that IRA, make it his or her own, and literally fold it into his or her own such that it'll now look and feel as if it was always his or her own and therefore will be subject to RMDs based on his or her own uh, lifetime and age, et cetera. That was one option. Another option was a surviving spouse could quote unquote stretch um, RMDs from the deceased spouse IRA where they, they can take RMDs based on the life expectancy, uh, you know, a life expectancy measure and stretch it out over the remaining lifetime of the surviving spouse. What Secure 2.0 is doing is saying that there's a new option now that surviving spouses can have where they can take RMDs instead of based on their own life expectancy. They can take RMDs based on the deceased spouse's uh, RMDs and what the deceased spouse, uh, when he or she would have needed to take RMDs and in which amounts. Uh, so I'm guessing if I'm trying to think where this would be beneficial, if the surviving spouse, let me think we have this right. It's a surviving spouse is older than the spouse that that passed and the surviving spouse wants to delay RMDs longer. The surviving spouse can use this new provision and not start RMDs until the deceased spouse would have been 73 or 75 under these new secure 2.0 rules. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that one there. And finally, the other one I wanted to bring to your attention. Again, this I'm talking about maybe a dozen points here. There's 90 something 
Insecure 2.0. So I'm sure there's going to be other things that that apply to some of you that you may be like, why did Andy not mention it? Well, uh, Andy didn't want to summarize all 90 something. Plus, again, I'm trying to limit it to those that I think are most applicable to you all listening. Uh, also with kind of the bias of mine where I really focus more so on the individual side as opposed to the employer, uh, you know, business side of things. Anyway, uh, last Last point I want to mention is uh, simple and SEP IRAs will now start to allow Roth contributions. So simple, uh, it's an acronym, S-I-M-P-L-E. I don't remember what it stands for. Uh, and SEP, S-E-P, stands for, I think, small employer plan. So simple and SEPs are certain types or certain um, sort of substructure. They're ultimately IRAs, but they're certain, uh, they got special rules around them in terms of how much can be contributed and by who. These are specifically meant for um, small employers. So if you work for a large employer that has a 401k, for example, you can open a traditional IRA, but you can't open a simple or SEP. That that would need to be done through the uh, employer if the employer chooses to do that, if they're even able to. If you're large enough of an employer, I don't think you can. I forget the rules around it, but you can if you're too big. So uh, anyway, point is, historically, pre-Secure 2.0, Simple and SEP IRAs were solely traditional pre-tax IRAs, meaning money went in, was was not taxed, and then all the distributions would eventually be taxed. There, were, there was no Roth uh, option to simple and SEP IRAs. Security 2.0 changes that. Um, starting this year now, 2023, uh, simple and SEP IRAs can have Roth contributions in addition to or instead of traditional pre-tax uh, contributions. And that's that. That's what I wanted to summarize for Secure 2.0. Again, this wasn't everything. Uh, some of these, some of my interpretations and summaries may be slightly off. Um, I missed one. Where's... Uh, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking. I, I know there's one in here that I missed. I don't remember saying it. Um, is there another page to this that I did not see? Ah, yeah, that's why I missed the third page. So two more things. Hold that thought. We're not done yet. Um, so with um, uh, if you if you do work for somewhere and you have a 401k, for example, remember I said that there are catch-up contributions. If you were over 50 by the end of the year, you can put more into your 401k than you can just a normal baseline annual contribution. Starting in, when is this starting? Uh, 2024, if you are highly compensated, and you make a catch-up contribution into a 401k, that catch-up is only allowed to be Roth. It cannot be traditional pre-tax. What's highly compensated? It is defined as if you uh, if your compensation is more than $145,000, and that will be indexed for inflation every year, so it will go up over time. If your compensation is more than that, uh, and you do make a catch-up contribution, meaning you're 50 or older, to your employer plan like your 401k, that catch-up will need to go into the Roth portion of your 401k, you cannot elect to have it go into traditional pre-tax, which is what you can now. Uh, for what it's worth, if your income is under that highly compensated level, you, you will have the choice of whether your catch-up contribution goes into traditional pre-tax or Roth. Again, this starts in 2024. And finally, uh, this starts now, 2023, technically started effective the uh, enactment of the legislation, which was December 29th. If... Um, Employer matches. So you have a four. Again, I'm, I'm using the term 401k, but I think in most or all these cases, it means any employer plan like a 403b federal thrift savings plan. Uh, I think, um, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, generically keep saying 401k. 
if your employer makes a matching contribution to a 401k. So, you know, you have a rule where if you put in 3% to your 401k, your employer matches another 3%, that's a matching contribution. Historically, any matching contributions could only go into your traditional pre-tax account. Even if the contribution you made on your own behalf was into your Roth account, the match that the employer would make uh, for you would go into the pre-tax 401k, not the Roth account. Starting 2024, employers will be able to offer, I'm sorry, starting now, uh, employers will be able to offer these matches go into the Roth portion of your 401k. They do not need to be solely pre-tax. Now, keep in mind with this provision and many of these provisions, um, th these are IRS rules I'm talking about. Just because the IRS will now allow employers to make matching contributions into Roth accounts for employees doesn't mean the employer or, you know, or the employer retirement plan needs to actually offer this optionality. They can now. Historically, they couldn't flat out. Now they can offer it, but they don't have to. So don't be surprised if, if a lot of employers, even though they can, they don't start offering uh, matching contributions going to Roth. Or if they do, don't expect it to happen overnight, you know, like January 2nd, 2023. Um, expect it to be some point later because there is going to be administrative work and process and hassle in 401k plan administrators updating their rules, the plan documents uh, for the plans, you know, the, the software through which contributions are made through payroll system or whatever. You know, these are all going to need to get changed. So it, it's going to be a slow rollout for this stuff. All right, now that's it for my summary. That, that's the stuff I wanted to touch on. <clears throat> Hopefully you all found this helpful. Uh, I hope you are thus far having a happy, healthy, and, and great 2023. Um, what else do I normally say? Oh yeah, uh, if you like this content, well, I guess this is going to mess things up now that I have this one single retirement planning education website. But if you like this podcast, you'd like the rest of my stuff on retirementplanningeducation.com where there's this podcast, there's the Retirement Planning Education Facebook group, formerly Taxes and Retirement, and the Retirement Planning Education YouTube page, formerly Retirement Planning Demystified. There's also going to be, if there's not already, a bunch of free stuff you can, you can download and print out like RMD tables, uh, adjusted gross income calculation summaries, tax return checklists, and a whole bunch of other checklists and flowcharts uh, that, again, will be forthcoming if it's not there already by the time you hear this and, and go to retirementplanningeducation.com. The site's a little clunky now. I just made it a couple of days ago. I'm slowly going to be building it out, making it prettier. So uh, if, if it looks a little clunky and silly, um, my apologies, but that, that's not its final version, I assure you. And finally, if you do like this podcast, if you appreciate and, and, and learn from the stuff you um, hear here, it will be greatly appreciated if you would take a few moments to take some time and, and leave a review on whatever podcast platform listening, whatever podcast listening platform you use to listen to this. Leave a like, leave a thumbs up, leave a five star, leave a uh, you know a written review. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. And check back next week. I'm going to say it now. So I put myself on the spot to actually have to do it. Uh, check back next week, episode 57, where I will be the first of my multi-part series on the intro to investing. That's going to be a fun one. That's it. Thank you as always for listening. Enjoy 2023 and I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.